there, teachers, and welcome to Lit Pro, the podcast for high school English teachers in Northside ISD right here in San Antonio, Texas. I'm your host, Barbara Bloomingdale, Academic Technology IST for High School ELA. In each episode, we are going to delve into the concepts and skills your students will explore in your courses. We will share lesson ideas and best practices for each unit, and we will talk with teachers from Northside campuses about what works best in their classrooms. Emily, thanks so much for joining us today. We're really excited to talk to you about your classroom and about some of the really interesting things you've been trying with your kids. This is, I mean, you know, we were just talking a minute ago about how when we all started the school year, we thought it's going to be so different. It's going to be back to normal. We're going to have our kids in class again, and everything's going to go back to the way it was. But that's not really what happened this year. What were the big differences you noticed in your kids at the start of the school year? Um, I think the the big differences were really, you know, as we talked about, it's the behavioral impact of these kids having been in isolation for so long. And so I think especially at the high school level, there's a lot that we take advantage of with the kids having been in school for nine years before they get to us. So they know how to sit in a desk. They know what is appropriate behavior. They know how to negotiate conflicts at their table group. And when kids came in this year, we saw like, whoa, they don't remember those things at all. And so having to build in some of that stuff that probably happens a lot more naturally at younger levels about how do we turn in papers and how do we sit in our desks and um, negotiate with our teammates. <laughs> and so I think that that was kind of the surprise. Um, and we knew that there would be some of that social emotional learning that needed to happen. I just think we didn't realize what that would be. You know, we were really concerned about their trauma, but we didn't realize, oh, there would be so much eagerness to be back in the classroom mm -hmm. and so much lack of training for that. So we kind of had to shift where those social emotional expectations went. I never thought that teaching high school, I would take for granted something like sitting at a desk or sitting in a group and negotiating airtime or space with my group members. But all of that is different in our sort of post-distance learning COVID 2.0, right? reality like our kids really didn't remember how to do some of those things so what were some of the things that you did to adapt what you normally would have done because i know your lessons post covid look very different from the way you used to manage your lesson flow before the pandemic so as i first started the first couple of weeks, everything felt so chunky. I was used to feeling like a ballerina that glides over ice. I knew exactly how to run a 45 minute class. And every time for the first two weeks, it just felt like things weren't happening. And I realized some of that was because I was expecting too much for myself and my students because they hadn't had all that school training. So my transitions weren't going the way that I was used to. And I realized, you know, it's not just me. That's not just the kids. It's just that we're all out of practice. Okay. So I did have to learn to keep those transitions because they need to have that sense of time moving forward. Um, but that I did have to reduce a little bit of my transitions actually to what I was used to. Um, because they just, every time I would transition to something new, I would lose a little bit in the lag time is okay, now we have okay. to switch to this paper, or now we have to switch to this. And so really learning a new way to streamline so that I have transitions, but they're minimalized, or you know, maybe everything is on the Chromebook rather than we're gonna do part in the notebook, part in the Chromebook. Okay. So that I kind of have to make that decision today, is today a Chromebook day or a notebook day? Because once I have them take one out, 
I'm not going to want to have them take another out. And that's something that I've had to learn um, over the course of this year that, you know, transitions are good, but should be limited. Right. We can't switch back and forth too many times during a class period. Exactly. Um, okay. Because you just lose them in that behavior lag time. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, even just learning like, oh, it takes a while to turn on a Chromebook and this Chromebook's dead and this Chromebook won't log in and this Chromebook mm -hmm. isn't getting on the internet. So, you know, that's why I needed to plan for it to be an all digital day or a no digital day. Okay, um, that makes a lot of I sense. Learned kind of recently. <laughs> mm -hmm. One of the things I noticed, and actually for the people who are watching this, we I came into Emily's class actually to look at her um, how she does choice in her classroom, which might be a different video for a different day. But, and I came in with another teacher to, to look at that. And um, that was incredible to watch. But what amazed me was, um, even though you limited the transitions between like technology and stuff, the way you kind of chunked your lesson and the way you taught it to me um, was a lot different than most of the classrooms we go into. Most of the classrooms, you kind of see a teacher do a five or 10 minute warm up, um, and then, uh, you know, five, 10, maybe 15 minute teach. Well, they'll, they'll model something or they'll give some information, definitions or, or some sort of content. And then the rest of the time is student work time and the teacher's kind of walking around and, and helping students. But you, you had your lesson structured um, a lot more than that. You did more than one direct teach. Um, and you, you, you kind of chunk their working time a lot less than maybe the 30 minutes at the end of class. It was about 10 or so minutes at a time of working. So how did you come about that? You know, how did you decide to do those state changes or plan your lesson to be chunked more than even I've seen you do in the past? Cause that, that's not my first time in your classroom either. Yeah, um, I think the, the, the decision to chunk in that way is really conscious because if a kid is not interacting with the material, then you're losing their attention and they're not even really learning anything. Even if they watch me model for 15 straight minutes, there's a loss of learning when they're not interacting with that. Mm -hmm. So whenever I'm planning any kind of direct teach at the forefront of my mind is too, is okay, but where is the student actual interaction going to be with this? And there should always be something that they can be doing while I'm doing, whether it's, you know, okay, they're giving me answers to questions and I'm writing those down. Um, or just, okay, I'm going to do this for five minutes and then I'm going to have them do it for five minutes. And then I'm going to, you know, kind of go back over that. But I think that if a student isn't interacting with what you're doing, you're losing them there. And then a lot of it is just um, thinking about the neuroscience of how a brain works, right? That it only has this limited attention span. And so if I can keep reactivating the attention span all over again, setting that reset button, um, then I'm kind of re-engaging every time. And so, okay, I'll lose them for this little minute, but I can pull them back fairly quickly if everything is chunked up into those smaller chunks. So I'm very conscious of planning for that. And like I said, planning, what is the student doing mm -hmm. um, over what am I doing in that particular time? And one of the things um, you did was, well, for, for anyone interested, she does 10 minutes of independent choice reading at the beginning of class, and then they go into uh, the daily instruction. And for that day, she was talking about commentary. And so they went to the model text or the mentor text, and they highlighted for commentary. And her direct teach that first time was about a review of what commentary was. It looked like this wasn't the first time you guys had talked about it because mm -hmm. they were already working on it in their essay. And then after they, uh, she reviewed what commentary was and let the kids highlight for it in their model mentor text, then she practiced um, not only adding commentary to her text, but also the placement of commentary and how that affects uh, the writing. And, and I, I thought that was great because I think if I was in the classroom, I would have, if I would have even attempted that with on-level freshmen, the placement of commentary, I probably would have done all that in one day, like 
let's add commentary, think about where you might put it instead of even breaking up that piece. So I thought that was like a really smart um, mini lesson that, and, and you gave him an appropriate amount of time on that because to do the commentary, I might've given him the whole class period, but to just play with the placement of commentary, you gave him about 10 or 15 minutes. So can you even think about those moves? I think like, to me, that was something that might've come out of last year in the pandemic when you're like, okay, I've got 15 minutes on Zoom. What can I actually teach a kid in 15 minutes and it, and it felt very much like that like not only are we talking about commentary we're talking about this specific thing which is commentary placement so how are you making those decisions um every day um i think that i some probably does come off of my practice from zoom right like okay what can i do in a very limited amount of time and i think some comes from really thinking about writing as an evolving piece and so it was okay to have it say okay we're just going to put a little bit of commentary here knowing that we're going to come back to it later on. And I think that that is the hard thing because we think as adults, when we write, we write in big chunks and because we have all those skills. And so we can sit and we're going to write for 30 minutes. Um, but kids can't write in big chunks. They can only write in these little chunks. So, okay, I'm just going to tell you, write three sentences about why this memory is important. Now they have some commentary so that later when I'm coming back and I'm reviewing, it's like, oh, well, I don't know what you mean or, oh, I don't have it. Well, you have some. And so then, you know, as we're drafting, the question becomes, can you move it around? Does it all have to be here at the end? Can we put some in the beginning? Um, and so I think just trying to move kids towards the idea that, you know, I don't do one big piece and then it's all done because I did it all at once. I do these little tiny steps. Um, so they're actually having to revise, I guess, was kind of my goal in that. I think that's so smart as well, because that allows you to really refine and focus your feedback so that you're not concentrating on the whole piece. You're really just focused on this one strategy that we practiced and then the way that that worked best for you so that we can talk about just that one element, which really was the focus of the lesson. I think what was great is that you, sh you showed him two things, like the importance of commentary and where it's placed, but also the importance of revision and how small it can be but in terms of what you actually add or take out of a paper it's not much but the higher level thinking that goes into that and especially and i could i could tell the kids were in groups they were talking about it they were asking you is this does this make sense here and those kind of things um you know not not a long lesson and not a lot of like writing on paper maybe happened but a lot of really good critical thinking happened and um you know maybe not every administrator would have noticed that or anything but um but we noticed it, and I thought I thought it was a great lesson to be uh, that you did that day on, a, especially on a Friday. I was like, this is high level on a Friday. <laughs> yeah, a true you know fashion. I think it had originally been planned for earlier in the week, but then oh, yeah. things you know kind of kept pushed. So now we're doing this on Friday, but it works, you know. So, so how did that or any other ch uh, changes affect your your kids and your lessons? And oh, the other thing I wanted to point out is you gave them a, a, a little a little cell phone break or maybe two, and it was just two minutes on that. And I know you and um, some other people are trying to kind of crack that code. I think Josh McDaniels is trying some different things with uh, putting the cell phones in Tupperware and things like that. So how's that two minute break working? What was the thinking behind it? Are, do you think you're going to keep using it? All that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I really, I would like to work that in more purposefully because, you know, all the studies show the technology is an addiction. And so like an addiction, there is an increased sense of anxiety when the kids don't have the access to their phones. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when I do my free trace reading, one of the things, one of the only things I'm super strict about is no electronic devices during that time. Um, because I believe it's healthy for a student, even if I can't get them to do anything but hold a book for 10 minutes, it's really healthy for, for 10 minutes. They're 
you know, not on their phones. And so I know though how that's increasing their anxiety. So I have to plan for that cell phone break. And then it makes it really easy to redirect students as well. Hey, put it away for just four more minutes, four more minutes, and then you're going to get a break. Um, and so that it's not a big fight during the reading time because that time is promised to them. And um, Josh and his Tupperwares, he just has those little Tupperwares and the kids put their phones in it because it's hard to sneak their phone out without it, you know, making a big noise and being a big obvious thing. But the kids can see them. And that's a really important part of reducing the anxiety and then honoring that promise, right? I promised you that you would get this time and it's honored. And so it makes it easier for them to then honor the time that you don't access that cell phone. Um, and so he, you know, does it periodically, maybe two or three times throughout the class period because he has that phone locked up almost the whole time. Since I only really lock it down at the first section of it, I only have that one cell phone break, but I'd like to start working in more um, because these kids do need that practice in focusing and being able to maintain focus on something. And I think that putting the cell phone away, even for limited times, is going to help them with that part of their learning as well. One of the things that Emily does really well is she's really explicit about what they're going to be doing and how long they're going to do it. And then she sets a timer. And so and she did that with the cell phone break. She did that with the, like, OK, we're going to highlight commentary for about 10 minutes and then we're going to do something different. And I thought, you know, it's not something I was good at in the classroom before. But when we talk about trauma and, and setting expectations and decreasing anxiety about what's coming next and all those things that we know are so important now, I thought that went really well in your classroom. And you could tell that the kids were like not caught off guard because you can go in a classroom and kids are like, what are we doing today? Or mm -hmm. looking around and they don't know where anything is. They don't know where to put stuff. And so I, I don't know, it, it just, it worked really well and it seems more purposeful now um, and important now than ever. Those, those timers and the, setting that expectation. Have you seen that as well? Yeah. And I think that the nice thing is too, is sometimes it allows me the moment to say, okay, we're going to take 10 minutes to work on this thing. And then the alarm goes off. And I knew that 10 minutes was not long enough, but it kept the pressure up. And then I can say, okay, hold up. How many fingers, you know, how many more minutes do you need? And then they feel like, okay, the pressure was on, but we're also a part of this, um, that these decisions are made with our benefit, you know? And so it kind of allows that to like, okay, well, I'm making a decision. I'm keeping the pressure on, but you also are respected in this, um, you know, that you're never rushed along at a pace that is completely impossible. Um, or I'll tell them we're going to do this for seven minutes and then we'll reevaluate. Um, and I do think it's just, it's part of the expectation, right? And it's part of that respect. Like I recognize you, I make these limits and then we reevaluate together as a group on whether or not that was a reasonable expectation. Um, so I get a lot of positive buy-in from that. And really, honestly, keeping my cell phone in my pocket and keeping that timer going off all the time keeps me moving forward because it's so easy to get distracted because somebody just sent me an important email or this kid needs a lot of help. And so, you know, you spend 20 minutes sitting with this one student and don't realize that that's happening. So the alarm is as much for me as it is for the kids um, and just keeping everybody focused and moving forward. So do you feel more exhausted? Because I watched you teach. You did not sit down for one second. You were <laughs> talking to a kid every moment, conferencing with a kid or getting them something that they needed um, at every moment. Even during the silent reading, you were asking kids what where they were in their reading. Were they enjoying it? For kids that seemed a little off task, you were like, hey, do you need a different book? I mean, there was not a moment wasted in instruction. So are you more tired now this year? Uh yes, I'm so tired. And I think it's like I said in the beginning, um, was it always this hard? And we just forgot that it was always this hard pre-COVID mm. um, because now we're all out of shape. 
but I, I do also purposely, I plan my really, really active days and all of that, you know, but I do always try to have like, okay, here are two days a week where maybe I, I'm only up half the amount of time. Um, I'm pretty much always in the power zone with my kids. It's hard for me to not be constantly monitoring them, but okay, here's a day where I'm only going to talk for like five minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to be really conscious about planning those things because it is so exhausting. And I try to make sure there's at least two days a week where maybe I'll get a little bit of grading done during this class period, or maybe I'll be able to spend that little bit of extra time with that student that always needs extra time on these two days. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have to kind of plan for a balance. When we mapped out that lesson, you had six different activities and then plus the state changes, it really amounted to eight transitions. Do you see yourself keeping that number or keeping that, um, that amount of state changes and activity changes throughout the rest of the school year? Um, it's, I do feel there's always kind of a natural slowdown towards the second half of the year, right? The first half of the year requires so much front loading because there's a lot to be taught where the second half of the year, it's a lot more like, okay, let's review these and revise these skills. It's a nice thing about the recursive nature of English. So I think there is a natural slowdown in that way. Um, And I am, as I said, trying to be more conscious about reducing some of those transitions where I was losing lag time um, because of, you know, well, there's a state change and now there's a behavior change. And so um, as important as to keep them constantly active and constantly involved in that lesson, I do also think that I'll reduce it down just a bit. And because they should be learning to focus, right? If my class is always, you know, move, 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 move. Well, that doesn't prepare them very well for a sit still for four hours and take a test. So there will have to be a natural reduction of being able to focus for longer periods of time on individualized tasks. Um, But I hope, like I said, that I'm setting a foundation that moves them towards that and makes that easier at the second half of the year. Absolutely. Thanks so much for talking with us, Emily. We appreciate your time. Yeah, thanks yeah, so much. Thanks for having me. A lot of fun. <laughs>